Well, hi everyone. This is Deb. And this is Beth. And we wanted to take a moment to tell you about our brand new podcast called Dying to be Found. Beth. Yeah? If you were to describe our true crime podcast, what would you say? Well, I tell people that we are two sisters who are intrigued by crime. We also try to delve into stories that we think our listeners can relate to. Deb, how would you describe Dying to be Found? I'd like to tell people that our podcast is open to the interpretation of our listeners. We don't always discuss big names in crime. We also talk about missing persons who are just dying to be found. But then again, there are definitely criminals that are dying to be found. We're always open to whatever stories we report and really want our listeners to take an active role in why we do this. Beth, do you have anything else to add? No, I think we covered it really well. You can listen to brand new episodes every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. And please visit us at our website at dyingtobefound.com and on social media at Dying to be Found. I'm Carmen. And I'm Joanna. And this is... What is this? Live, Laugh, Murder. Murder. Hi, Joanna. Hi, Carmina. How are you today? Oh, doing well. I gotta, I gotta warm you up a little bit. Turn off your phone. Sorry, that was my <laughs> husband texting me. So he got our daughter. Um, the podcast community is really freaking cool. Yeah, I believe it. We've connected with some cool shows, and you just heard one of them before our intro. So if you're into checking out new shows, please give Dying to Be Found a shot. They are awesome. You'll love them. Well, I have a long car ride coming up, so maybe I can download some podcasts. You should. You're driving to Michigan, right? Georgia, then Michigan. How long is the drive from Georgia to Michigan? Like 10 hours with a toddler. So you'll definitely have time for plenty yes. of podcasts. Yes. And good luck. Thank you. Godspeed. <laughs> I'm going to need it all. Um, you have a Florida man story? I do. Are you ready? And this one's very recent. Oh. Yes. Um, so not like 2014 no, recent? No, this one's recent. This one's ongoing, an ongoing investigation, if you will. Okay. This is in Lakeland, Florida. What up, Lakeland? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> here it is. Again, I will read the headline after. Okay. Okay. Authorities are looking for a Florida woman who lashed out. Oh, wait. Pause. This message or this um, story was sent to me from our good friend, Amy. Oh, hey, girl. Okay. So thank me. you for sending it, Amy. I love it. Do love research. suggestions. Okay, Florida uh, authorities are looking for a Florida woman who lashed out at employees at a Lakeland McDonald's over uh, her order taking too long Thursday okay. afternoon. How long? Doesn't oh, let me keep reading. Okay, okay, okay. Twenty-two-year-old Tianis Jones, I'm hoping I'm saying her name right, is wanted on multiple multiple charges of outbursts that was caught on camera around 5:30, according to Polk County Sheriff's Office. Another Polk County. Polk County. They just wow. they they love we this. love you, Polk County. But damn. <laughs> Detective said Jones stormed into the store after waiting for her order at the drive-thru when she became enraged. Oh. Yeah. She can be seen on the video smacking a small plastic sign before pummeling, love that word, pummeling <laughs> several bottles and making her way behind the counter where oh. she unleashed her rage. Unleashing her rage. 
<laughs> Let's fucking go! <laughs> On a stack of cups, Jones was asked to leave the store several times before she decided to call 911. She called 911. Okay. Stating, I am five months pregnant. <gasps> yep. These people don't know how to run a mother effing McDonald's to operate. Wow. Wait, I'm not done. Um... It says one of Jones's relatives came into the store and tried to hold the 22-year-old back before eventually um, convincing her to leave the restaurant. <laughs> this is the best part. And this just seals the whole, like, Florida story. Uh-huh. As Jones was making her way out of the store, she can be seen on video twerking. <laughs> and there is a video. You can pull it. If you pull it up. Text that to me so I can put it in the <clears throat> show notes, please. I will. But let me just say one thing. Um, uh-huh. Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd, he's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Love him. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, I don't know why this woman got as angry as she was, but as the saying goes, she's a few fries short of a Happy Meal. <laughs> Her actions were outrageous, especially at a place where small children often visit. Jeez. Yeah. This was a little long. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the video is... Oh, this is high, the, sorry. The heading is Woman Throws Violent Tantrum at Florida McDonald's. Wow. Yeah, this is an end. I will follow up next time. Thank you. Because I do have a follow up, but I will share it next story. A follow up to this story. She hired an attorney. Attorney is McPist. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, no, it is. It's quite interesting. Okay, so. I like that you're leaving me on a little cliffhanger. Yes, because I have. I already know the update. If I mean, if you want to spoil it, and no, look no, it no, up. no, 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 no. We're gonna we're gonna wait for part two. Yes, part two of twerking McDonald's lady. The video you have to look it up. It is hilarious. Only if you will twerk as well. No! <laughs> I don't think my body moves that way. Okay, so we have received a few listener tales, but I want more. I want more. Send them. If you have had a crazy event happen in your life, or if you are a short story writer and want to share your stuff, type it up and email us exactly as you want your story read to livelaughmurderpod at gmail.com. Don't forget to reveal at the end if your story is true crime or completely made up. Okay. Not true, not necessarily true crime, but a true story in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Some people get confused on what a listener tale should be. Anything that you really want to share that is just out there, out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Send it over. That'd be great. Okay, so, Joanna. I'm ready. I want to tell you a story today. Yes. Before I do, though, I want to give you a trigger warning. Oh, again? I know. Maybe next episode we'll lighten it up. Is it an animal trigger? Next episode, should we lighten it up? Yes. Will you answer my question? No. It's not animal trigger. Okay. (laughs) If you're here, you know it has the potential to be rough. Today's episode will include details, unfortunately, of sexual abuse, torture, and other heinous acts. Mm. So if that's not your thing, then just get us on our next show. Or just put us on mute. Put us on mute. So we can get the lessons. <laughs> <laughs> or just do that. Uh, we love you and we understand more than we can say. Otherwise, I think it's important to tell the hard stories. It's important because it's real and it's true and we can't predict or we can't pretend like these things don't happen. Yeah. I want to honor badass people who want to do the right thing, and especially survivors of abuse and torture. Whether or not what I'm going to tell you today is fact or fiction, true crime or movie plot, I will spoil the fact that this one really did affect me. Oh. I know. Um, 
this quote unquote story, because we don't know it, Joanna doesn't, and you guys don't know yet if this is true or made up from a movie. It kind of made me emotional. Oh, I know. Gosh. For our new listeners, I typically use the word research, whether what I'm saying is true crime or a movie plot, just to keep continuity. So when you do research, you do. Yeah. I mean, watching a movie is research. So let's see how we do today, how we keep it together, and if you can figure out what's up. Okay. Okay. Ready. So here we go. Although it is difficult, it is important. Remember this. Here's our story. I want to set the scene for you. Something to picture in your mind. We are in the early 2000s, and I want you to imagine a bank. Okay. Okay? A woman goes to the teller to withdraw a significant amount of money. $15,000 to be exact. I wish I had $15,000. Go get some. Um, I assume the teller is alarmed at the amount, but whatever. They're discreet. Imagine the woman looks the bank teller in the eye as she is withdrawing her money. And as calmly as she can, she states her name and bank information. And then she states that currently her husband and two daughters are at home tied up. Mm. She says that there is a man in her vehicle waiting for her to withdraw this money. And if the teller alerts police, the man has said that they're all going to be dead. The teller calmly gives her her funds and the woman leaves, getting in the car and is driven off by this man. I'm intrigued. Okay, you're intrigued. Let's keep it going. Whew, that was quite an intro. That was, because I was like, oh, well, maybe she was, but then, like, I thought she maybe hit a, yeah, I'm sorry, my thoughts. Can we edit this out? No, 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 you got this. Okay. <laughs> the woman's name is Jennifer. Okay. Before Jennifer even leaves the bank, the bank manager, who's now, who had become aware of what just transpired, but trying not to alert anyone, discreetly calls 911. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, do bank tellers have like little buttons? I think they do. Like this button is like, listen, like a microphone, like hear this shit, call 911, alert the authority. Like if you're a bank teller, I, you know, let me know. I honestly think that they have microphones. I feel like I was at a bank once where there was like microphones. At each little Hang, spot. Like hanging down though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like when you're on stage performing. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not like that. Okay. Well, let's and there's going. cameras, but is, yeah. is it sound? I know. I don't. I don't know. How I don't that's go. Possible. To, I can't remember the last time I was in a bank. Go. Well, this is early 2000. Yeah. So, so the bank manager discreetly mm-hmm. calls 911. She relays everything to the dispatcher and states that there is in fact a man outside waiting in a car for Jennifer. She has seen this person. She also tells the dispatcher that yes, Jennifer did just get in and drive off. Like this is happening real time right now. What do you think happens next? So many possibilities. Give me one. Uh, I mean, maybe there's a road stop. Oh, that would have been great. Oh, so that's not it. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm pissed. Oh. Um, well, you didn't tell me where the story takes place. Was... It's in New England. We're in New England area. In New England? Yeah. Like the top of our country? No, I know. I don't know why East? I said it that way. I don't know why I said that either. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take you Keep since going. you can't, they did not do a road stop. That would have been phenomenal. Thank you. I should be a police officer. You I should, should be like be a, detective. a detective. Yep. Ah, oh. jinx. I'm going to take you to a specific vantage point, one from the outside of this house of horrors. House of horrors. Is somebody at the house too? Or is this like a double? Mm-hmm. Okay. So she had two- told the bank teller, my husband and daughters and children are tied up at home. There's a man in the car. And yes, there was also a second man at the home. Okay. I want to paint a picture for you first. Another picture for you to imagine. I like giving you like snapshots that you can see. Mm -hmm. Me too. A two-story beautiful home 
in New England, as I stated, white, gorgeous, an almost sleepy town that you'd see in a Hallmark movie, okay? Beautifully manicured lawns, gorgeous tall homes, sweet people, the kind of place we all see and think, I want to live there. Mm-hmm. Now, here's your two-story stunning HGTV-style house owned by a doctor and his wife. Oh, Okay. They share the home along with their two daughters who are 11 and 17 years old. Now let's continue with what's happening outside of the home after the 911 bank call. Okay. Police do go to the house. Mm -hmm. They stake out the house. They wait. Good. Do they approach the house? They do not. Do they knock on the door? They do not. Do they peek in the windows with weapons? Ready? Ready to go with snipers and the SWAT team? What do you think? No. No. They wait and stake out the area. They wait to the detriment of the family inside the home. Because right before their eyes, while they're waiting and watching from afar, the house goes up in flames. (gasps) Not one hour from the 911 call to this point, the house is up in flames. Is it bursting? It is on fucking fire. And the the police realize that they have royally screwed up. In yeah. this scenario. How, are you going to tell me how it caught on fire? I will. Okay. Yeah. The police do get a jolt of excitement because <laughs> they do see two men driving off and trying to flee the house. Okay. So there's the wife. Okay. The wife. The is in Two the children, now. husband, and the, the two assailants. Okay. Yep. The two men are caught quite easily and brought into the station. Not only this, but you're not going to believe it. They survived. You're not going to believe it. A man is found having escaped the underground basement from the outside exit. This man is severely beaten, bloody, and not even fully aware of what is happening. This is the dad, Dr. Pettit. He escaped from the underground, like, I mean, all basements are underground. But what is that hatch called from a basement? The hatch. He got out of the, the cellar? It's a out. cellar, I think. He got out. I Somehow he got out. They find him. He has escaped. Beaten, bloody, no clue what's going on. However, where is his family? Mm. I can imagine the scene. Two men caught fleeing this house. The owner of the home emerging, completely abused, and standing there looking at a house in flames, wondering, where is my wife and where are my daughters? Now I'm going to take you to the crime when it all started. So we're going to back up in time. Okay. I know, I'm, I'm already sad. So, a little before this horrific morning, because this did happen in the morning, let me introduce you to Joshua and Steve. The men? These two assholes meet at a halfway house. So, they they have both have had run-ins in the past with the law. They decide they want to rob a house. Sure. Why why rob a house? Like, why rob a house? I mean, I guess if you're in a good neighborhood, you know there's going to be good stuff. But, like, if you came in my house, like, you can take whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because if you're coming in my house, yeah. you've lost your mind. And at yeah. that point, I'm just leaving. Yeah. I'm getting Listen, listen. I'll, I'll leave. You take what you want. <laughs> I've yeah. got insurance. Just let me take my animals and my kid and Seriously, husband. We're good. You can leave the husband, yeah. take the kid. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. If I had a pick. Just kidding. Love you. Love you. So this isn't the first time either of them have done something like this. So Josh, Joshua, I'll call him Josh. The night before the robbery, the intrusion, the home invasion... He's at the grocery store, and he spots a mom and her two daughters just fucking shopping at the grocery store. He watches them, is interested in them. He even follows them home. 
Josh reaches out to Steve and convinces him to do a home invasion. Steve isn't quite into the whole home invasion thing. He'd rather just like rob an empty house, right? Sure. But I mean, he does go along with it, so. So the difference screw between a, a robbery of a mm-hmm. home and an invasion is they're in the house? Yeah. An invasion is Right. A house. home invasion is when the family is there and you're going in full steam. That That's like one of my top fears. Yeah. Me too. It, I mean, it's scary and it happens and it's terrifying. Yeah. Okay, so let's go to later that night, like middle of the night. Okay. The two men are set on their plan and they travel to the house together in one car. They approach in the middle of the night. The family is all sleeping. They look through the windows and see Dr. Pettit asleep in the living room. The dad. This is it. They're ready. Josh and Steve are wearing face masks and rubber gloves and they enter the home quietly. How? They broke in quietly. How do you... <laughs> it was the early 2000s. I'm going to blame everything on that. Okay. They approach Dr. Pettit, who's asleep in the living room, and Josh begins beating him with a baseball bat until he is... Obviously, he has awakened, and he's cowering um, in the corner of the couch, just spent, because he's been woken up being yeah. beaten by a baseball bat. Um, I assume here they that he does pass out, and a lot of more awful things happen to him. Then Josh and Steve go upstairs to the girls and their mother. Steve goes to the mom's room. This, I can't. If I'm asleep in my fucking bed, listen, he covers her mouth and shakes her awake. Imagine you're just sleeping and you feel someone cover your mouth and you wake up and they're shaking you and it's a stranger. I'm already not liking this. Meanwhile, Josh goes to the younger girl's room, Michaela, the 11-year-old. He ties up her hands and feet and places a pillowcase over her head so she can't see him. Over time, through this hellish evening, things progress. As you can imagine, they get just worse. What do these assholes do? Drink the family's beer, collect any items of value, and they go on through their evening. Don't drink my beer. Like, what the heck? Obviously. Obviously. They start, as the night goes on, making some decisions. For example, the idea comes up that they have left some evidence behind. So they may need to be prepared to dispose of it in the future. What does this mean? It means that they start preparing in case they have to burn the house down. With this in mind, the decision is made that Steve will go fill up some gas cans at the gas station. Yeah. While Steve is gone, John takes his, Josh, sorry, takes his crimes to the next level. Josh now being alone with everyone. And let me add, Dr. Pettit has now been moved to the basement, tied up. Josh goes into the room of 11-year-old Michaela. And the sickest thing, he has overheard that the family calls her by a nickname. So he starts calling her KK by her nickname. Josh then rapes her and uses the camera he brought along to take sexually explicit photos of her. Oh my gosh. When Steve is back from the gas station, he's confused about why Michaela has different clothes on. So just let that marinate. Oh, God. It's so hard. I hate this. I hate it. I told you from the beginning. Steve was not involved in that at all. He was just confused. So let's fast forward now to the morning. The morning of the bank incident, like 8.30 a.m. Okay. Steve is the one who takes mom, Jennifer, to the bank to finalize their robbery. And you know the plan. She's to go in, withdraw $15,000, and not alert anyone. While Jen is in the, Jennifer is in the bank, 
Steve does feel like the whole thing takes long, so he gets antsy. He even goes so far as to call Josh on his cell phone, like freaking out. And Josh is just reassuring him that they're doing the right thing. They're not going to get caught. Everything's going to be okay. And Steve is just at the bank like, what do you, this piece of garbage, Steve, and then this other piece of flaming trash, Josh is left alone again with the girls. So you already know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So Josh, trigger warning, this is horrible. Orly molests Michaela, the 11-year-old. To him, he is treating her nicely because he gives her water. He offers for her to take a shower and he is being gentle. But Josh, fuck you. Because yeah. I can't even. I'm like crying. I know you are. <laughs> because it's just so awful. Well, because we both have girls. Yeah, we have daughters, so it's like a lot. I hate it. So when Steve returns with Jennifer, he quickly learns everything is not going to be okay, as Josh said on the phone. And then Josh reveals too much DNA has been left behind. Oops. Oops. And Dr. Pettit is dead. Oops. Sorry, Steve. The doctor is dead. I've left too much DNA. So what's their plan? Do you remember? Catch the the house on fire. Like the house They're going to burn it down. Oh, God. Okay, the rough part's over, so I can, like, stop being so emotional. So now we're at the point I started with where there are the cops are outside the home. So we have gone all the way back to that. It's a quick story. Quick story. Now, this is a point where the police are outside, and guess what? Josh and Steve see the police hiding outside. They can see them through the windows. <laughs> Were they just sitting in their cop car across yeah. the street? Air quotes, hiding, hiding right? Uh, bunny ears. Steve goes into a rage, realizing Jennifer alerted the bank officials. Mm. And I thought the rough part was over. Steve does, like, angrily rape Jennifer. Which, it just makes no sense. It's just, I, how do you get off on that? We're not, We're not those people, so we'll never understand it. Let me keep going. And he strangles her. Meanwhile, Josh goes to check on the dead. The dead. Is he dead? No. Dr. Pettit. He thinks he's dead. Realizing that this badass mother effer escaped. Doctor, he realizes so he Dr. Pettit before? escaped before. This is it. They got to burn the house down. We got to go. Like, let's go. All while the cops, this from Jennifer's rape to him realizing Dr. Pettit has escaped. To them setting the house on fire, the cops are outside. So while the cops sit, wait, watch, the women are all beaten nearly to death and some even to death. The men drench the house with the gasoline. Josh closes the doors of the girls first before lighting his flames, which I thought was weird. No, because then Tell me. they'll be saved. The, girl, the fire won't, it'll take longer for the fire to get into their room. So you think in his mind. He was doing a good deed. Like when he gave Michaela yeah, water in the shower. Like they set it on fire. They escape running out the back door, leaving Jennifer, mom, strangled. 11-year-old Michaela raped and dead. Aww. 17-year-old Haley, presumably dead, all lying tied up in their beds. So before I go on, and I think you're going to know, is it true crime or a movie? Like. I can't. Oh, God, it's so bad. How would I know? I mean, I really don't want this to be a true story. Oh, I don't know. I can't with the emotions. And I knew this was going to be rough before you came over, but I didn't know if I should tell you or not. So I didn't, and I apologize. Maybe next time I'll let you know. 
but then no. you won't want to come. No, yeah, they'll be like, oh, plans have changed. I got some came up. My kid's sick. That's like the the lie every parent tells when they don't want to do something. My kid's yeah. sick. <laughs> Oh, have your husband watch. Oh, he's sick too. Oh, yeah, my husband's sick too. <laughs> um, he's, Listen. No. Listen, mom, friends, I'm sorry if we just ratted you out. I think everybody knows. All right. There's That's a the lot more excuse. that I want to say. But true crime is – okay. Is this true crime or the plot of a twisted, awful movie? I'm going to say I want it to be a movie. I want it to be a movie too. But it's real. It's real. Sadly, it's awful. This is the true crime story better known as – the Cheshire Murders, because it took place in Cheshire, Connecticut, and it was recommended to me by someone that you know. I know who it is. I knew you were going to know when I said Ralphie. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Hi, Ralph. Ralph is Joanna's good friend. Yes. And he emailed me in, a while ago, and he asked that I not give the town of the But, you know, even the, though when state. you said New England, I still didn't know. Like, I wanted it to be in my heart of hearts to be not a true story, but... yeah. Well, do you know that I mean, my hands are ever, sweating? My hands I know. are sweating. Have you ever heard of the town of Cheshire? How do you spell it? Like the Cheshire cat. Oh yes, I've heard of. It. I've been to Connecticut before. I've never been there. My uh, my actually, how my friend Ralph and I met was my through my friend Shannon, and mm-hmm. I was in her wedding. Oh, in okay, Connecticut. in Connecticut. Well, Ralph, you're badass, and I even asked Ralph. I said, "Do you want to write this as like a listener tale?" Because he basically grew up in the town where this occurred. So he know, knew about the story. Or near the town. Maybe a town over. I think this, he grew up in like, Mer, Mer, I'm going to say I don't it. know. I'm not even going to pronounce don't even, it. Don't even try. Starts with an M. Okay. So I said, do you? And he goes, no, no, no. I'm not a writer. You do it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. And he, rec- and he requested that I not give the specific location because he thought you would know. Yeah. I feel like you would have said that. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot more I got to tell you. Huh. So here we go. Those of you who are still with us after all of that, I have a lot more. So wait, so the dad lived, everybody else died. That is true. Oh. Yep. Sorry, oh, I don't know if she threw her my pen, pen down. Okay, go ahead, make loud noises. It's fine. The listeners love it. <laughs> we get text messages. Um, what was that noise? Were you chewing? Were you eating? What was that tapping noise? Okay. At one point, I thought I would have to make this episode a two-parter. The first half we just covered being the overall gist, and the second half we were about to get into straight facts and details. But I decided just to put it all together in one and give it to you at once. So I'm going to give you the rest of the story. There's so I could have really done a whole other episode on it, but I'm just going to give it to you. So I want to start by telling you about the family because I want to honor them first and foremost. And I honestly think too much attention is given to the monsters and not enough to the victims of violent crimes. 100%. 100%. And I was, I was very emotional researching this. I was just crying. And even like watching the documentary that Ralph suggested from HBO, which I'm linking in the show notes. You can see it on YouTube. Really good. And it was an older episode. So that'll be linked if you want to check that out. And I did some other research online that I'll also link for you guys if you want to dig more into it. Um, so let's start with the mother, Jennifer, or Jen as her family called her. She, as a kid and as a teen, was known as a winner. Jen was a fucking winner. She was just someone who went for it. She was a great mother and she put her kids first. And Jen did suffer, unfortunately, from MS. And I mean, good thing she was married to a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> right? Get it, girl. Um, and I'm going to tell you a little more, more about Jen in a second. Haley, who was 17 years old, straight A student, but she was like quiet about her accomplishments. 
So not like you and me. We're, yeah, bragging. Like, Look at my report card. <laughs> oh, no, I was a terrible student. Oh, I'm not going to lie. But if you did get the straight A's like Haley, you'd be like, Look at my report card. Okay, Haley rode in school as a sport, which is cool. She did fundraisers as a teenager for MS, thinking of her mother. Thoughtful. Right? Haley was accepted to Dartmouth for college and wanted to follow in her father's footsteps. Haley was just awesome. Straight A student, accepted to Dartmouth, wanted to follow in her dad's footsteps. And now little Michaela. Michaela's 11. She kind of shied away from adults, but always like tried to help others. She was more interested in kids her age. She was the kind of kid who would watch out for others and be a friend to the friendless. That's what was said about her. Hmm. She was a friend to the friendless. She was loved by her teachers and had a passion for cooking, which is just so cute. Like I can picture a cute like 11-year-old like with her little apron just like. A little hat. Yeah, a little hat. She probably didn't have a hat, but we can picture it. It's just adorable. And Dr. Pettit, the dad, who is still alive today. Okay. His name is Bill. He was a committed and dedicated doctor. And when he met Jennifer, she was a nurse and he was a third-year medical student. Like a, like a Grey's Anatomy. Like a Grey's Anatomy. So she was basically kicking ass as a nurse and he was a newbie when they met. So it's like there was an interview I watched where he's like – where they met and she knows everything. And he's like, okay, where's this and that in the hospital and XYZ? Dr. Pettit was horrified after this whole ordeal. He had to be convinced by family that they were happy he was alive. That would he be suffered. hard. He oh, suffered from – like- <laughs> He suffered from survivor survivor's guilt. I mean, who would who wouldn't? You know what I mean? When it came down to the funeral, Dr. Pettit had a huge wound stitch from forehead down through his eye. So like all the way down. Joanna, I'm sorry. It's just this whole thing is just a lot. It's a lot. Stop. You're gonna make me cry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're gonna make me cry. Oh. oh god. Okay. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going. We're gonna just truck through. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you about the pieces of literal garbage. I actually plan on giving a lot more details about them, but fuck them. You guys are still alive. Fuck you. I was going to say, are they in prison? That's all I can give Fuck yeah, they're in prison. I'm going to sum that shit up for them because they don't deserve a lot of attention. Getting raped in the butt every day. Raped in the asshole with no lube or spit. (laughs) Any lube is lube. You don't get lube. Um, Guys, if you hear this. I hope you know that you suck and you are not worthy. <laughs> Could you imagine they're in prison scrolling They have through. internet in prison now. I know, but they're not going to have like their personal Some of them iPods. are on TikTok. <laughs> I, I did you say those. iPods? <laughs> <laughs> because, because on Jeopardy the other day, there oh was a question God. about it. And it was from the early 2000s and mm-hmm. it was an iPod. You said <laughs> they have their iPods. Listen, I know some people out there as listeners. I know that there are some of us who feel like it's disrespectful to like laugh through the hard stuff. But Joanna and I are not those people. We believe laugh when you can. Talk about the hard stuff, but if you have a moment of laugh like fucking do it. Fuck those guys. We can laugh at them and make them feel like shit and have a laugh and not cry and tell you about an important story. So yeah. People deal with things differently. Right? Oh, yeah. Okay, let's start with Joshua Komisarjevsky. Oh, I'm sorry. How many syllables was that? Spell it. I didn't even hear. I kind of lost. Okay. Komisarjevsky. Okay. Um, Josh, if I'm pronouncing your last name wrong, I don't fucking Screw care. You. I don't care. So Josh was born August 10th, 1980. Josh was adopted as a young age into, and this is where, this is where it twists me up. 
feel bad for the kid, not for the adult. Because a lot of kids have gone through a lot of bad shit and not grown up to be murderers. Okay? 100%. Josh was adopted at a young age into an abusive home. And yes, nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just whatever. There's no excuse. So Josh, he was sexually abused as a young child. And this messed him up royally. Because he was also, this is what got him. Josh was also being taken to a church where he was taught that being gay was a sin and he was being raped by a male figure. Okay. So then if you're being raped by a male figure, molested, and then you're going to church and you're being taught that being gay is, that you're at a church where being gay is a sin, it's going to mess with your head. So he's thinking, am I evil, like as a young kid? So it's all right. It's it's that seed has been planted. That seed was planted. And if you have nobody telling you the opposite. Right. So Josh, having been raped anally by his foster father, was also freaking out thinking he was gay and now he's going to hell. He had photos of him taken as a, as a child that were explicit and he was burned with cigarettes on his body. I am not sticking up for Josh. I am not doing any of that. I'm just stating the facts. Later after the crimes... Prior girlfriends of Josh came out saying that he was always a bit troubled. Yeah. Because basically he felt like he had no escape. Like as a teenager, I'm talking. He couldn't tell anyone about his story and he suffered greatly from anxiety. Well, I mean, this is what he was born in the 80s. I mean, he grew up with us. And that stuff wasn't a thing. Right, exactly. And then the sad thing is, the difficult thing is, I'll say, at the church that he attended at the time when he was like a preteen teen, If you have anxiety, that's the devil giving you anxiety. If you have troubles in your life, that's the devil giving you troubles. So unfortunately, he was of the belief that he had no control over these things, that it was just being like it was happening to him. And I know a lot of us have experienced those kinds of churches. And it's sad that like we need to teach our youth that they have power and they have a voice and that Mm -hmm. they can reach for help and they can overcome these things. Yes. It's not some random, you know, identity. It's an evil man taking advantage of a kid. And this could have been avoided if there was some support. If he had, yes. If he had support, if he had had help, if that man would have been put in jail, this could have all been avoided. A later girlfriend came out saying that around the time of the crime, so this is like when he was in his 20s, Joshua had become super aggressive in the bedroom, like dom-sub type relationship. And he was escalating. As a teenager, I know I'm bouncing around. I apologize. Josh began running away from home it, like at night, not to invade homes, but he would spy on families. Probably to see like what's yes. a normal family. Yes. It's exactly my next note. Oh. <laughs> my next note. Exactly. He wanted to be part of a family unit that wasn't like the one that he had to deal with and he would just watch people. Oh. Later, after being excommunicated from his church for acting out, this church. God forbid. He did join the reserves and was eventually discharged. Now, I couldn't find if he was honorably or dishonorably discharged from the reserves, from the military. Nevertheless, he went back home, and this is when everything just went downhill. Now, a little twist on Josh. He's actually a great artist, very smart, and has a photographic memory. In the documentary I mentioned before, which I said I will link, a detective had stated that Josh, this is wild to me, he had committed a robbery. And way past the robbery, he was able to tell every denomination of every bill that he stole. Like I stole, this is an example, 10 $5 bills. 
seven twenty dollar bills. Like wow. everything. Impressive. He could remember minute details, which I mean, imagine if he would have had the support, imagine what he could have done in his life. Yeah. Josh was twenty six at the time of the crime. Twenty six years old. Wait, if he was born in the This was in the early two thousands and two thousand seven this happened. I don't so know he why was born I, in eighty. I think of when I I guess I think of like 2001, 2002. I guess 2007. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's okay. <laughs> we got you. Now, let me take you to the other perpetrator, Stephen Hayes. Stephen was born May 30th, 1963. Whoa. And he was 44 at the time of the murders. How did they hook up? In a halfway house. That's where they uh, met. But wait, why was... Oh, because he stole the first Well, they were. Stole? They had both been committing uh, crimes. Okay. Yeah. Stephen was known as being an overall piece of shit by his own two brothers. There's one story, and this is wild to me, his brother tells, where he recalls a photo of them from, like, Sears <laughs> or, like, JCPenney. It's, like, yeah. a picture of them sitting together. And they're, like, hug- one is hugging the other. You know, like, one yeah. is in between his lap, and they're hugging, and they're, like, both facing the camera. Yeah. And it's, like, a cute picture of two little boys, but the brother, Stephen's brother, says that he remembers the whole time during the photo shoot, Stephen was pinching him and hurting him throughout the photo shoot. So he was a fucking asshole from being a little kid. Oh. Stephen's brother, Matthew, spoke out a lot about how he shouldn't have been allowed to walk the streets and that he was very manipulative. Isn't that crazy that there's three of them and that one mm-hmm. of them? Yeah, why bad? one out of all of them? I'm one of three and I'm the best, so. <laughs> For ranking. Love you. No, they're not listening. Love they don't you listen. People. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, Steven was the kind of guy who would do all these bad things, get incarcerated, go to AA, then move back in with mom and lie to her and tell her that he was going to take care of her and do, and then he'd do it all again. Mm. So his mom, his mom loved her boys. Yeah. Steve was well-versed in recovery. He had been through it so many times and he was in NA, Narcotics Anonymous. He wrote journals about unresolved anger and having scary fantasies. Both of his brothers hated being around him and felt everything he said was bullshit. Mm -hmm. So now let's move to a few details of the crime. I've already told you so much, but just a couple more. The family, after the crime, went, like, Jennifer's family went hard on this case. Jennifer's sister, Cynthia, who was a badass, was very vocal about how she felt about how the police messed up. Sure. Like, she was, the family was unhappy. She, along with the grandparents, felt as if police should have gone into the house right away. And honestly, if they would have, the girls presumably could still have been alive. If they, you know... Cynthia went out, which is Jennifer's sister, went on to talk or to ask questions like, why wasn't Jen stopped at the bank? Yeah. But the cell, but mm, the phones. Why if the cops have heard, why if the cops may have heard screams from the house, didn't they barge in? That one gets me. Yeah. Because like the cops are outside. Oh my God. I got to stop crying. Okay. She, along with the family, were left with so many frustrating unknowns that the family eventually just wanted justice for the girls. 100%. And what really pisses the family off was that, get this, the city manager, which what the fuck is a city manager? Like, you're not a mayor? I don't, are you a mayor? I don't know. Michael Malone. He went on TV and did a press conference <sighs> praising the police department because they caught the bad guys. I mean, they did. But failed to mention that they could have prevented the horrific crime. Could have. They could have followed the cop, the guy home. They could mm-hmm. have done They could have so stopped Jen at the bank. Many things. Jen at least would have been alive. Because if they got into that, if they, if they could have just 
the guy in the car. They could have just pulled him out, yep. and then they would, he couldn't have made the phone call. Or they could have said, make the phone call. Yep. And then we'll... I'm, right, I'm, You right. know what? I'm quitting my job and being a detective. <laughs> the family felt the priority was to... Leave a mom to do the right thing. Serious, mom's right. Okay, so Jen's family <laughs> felt that the police's priority was to arrest the men and not save the women. Family. Why didn't they have bullhorns, and this is coming from the family, announcing their presence? Why didn't they bust in? Why didn't they enter the house? The police at the time of the investigations would not answer these questions. Of course they wouldn't because they're ashamed of themselves. The family believes the cops feel like they messed up and maybe were afraid. And now they have that guilt for the rest of Mm -hmm. their life, so good for them. I know. So this all started July 22nd, 2007, when Josh and Steve texted all excited about burglarizing a home. After Josh had watched Jen, Michaela, and Haley go home from the grocery store. He just picked, like, any he just picked, Yep. It so. was on the morning of July 23rd, around 9 a.m. And these are random, de- not random, but these are details that are important to the story. July, the morning of July 23rd, around 9 a.m., that Jen went into the bank. By 10.30 a.m., the house had burned down. Hour and a half later. Josh and Steve were caught fleeing in the Pettit family vehicle. <laughs> Stole their fucking car. Jen had died from strangulation and the daughters had died from smoke inhalation. Well, they couldn't even go in? There was evidence that Haley, the 17-year-old, had tried to escape while on fire. There were burn tracks seen on the floor of her bedroom where she got up and tried to get out. Or do you think... Like, now I'm really pissed. Mm -hmm. Now I'm pissed. Mm -hmm. Do you think he lit the girls on fire? No. He, He... They poured gasoline everywhere. And, like, and then me. Josh did shut the doors. But do you think he shut? They shut the doors so not to let the smoke out. Yeah, no. Josh had shut the doors. In they the, had poured the gasoline in the bedrooms. Yeah, everywhere. Oh, okay. Then Josh went back and shut the doors to probably keep. It then contained. they started the fire because to Josh he was doing something like a some kind of favor. But if there's gasoline already in the room, exactly, exactly. Fucking dumb. There's so many. I hate. Uh, I hate it all. So many emotions in so this. So many emotions. Oh my gosh. Um, and poor Haley. So doctor, when Dr. Pettit escaped, his, he had his legs tied together and he had basically like hopped out from the basement steps and he had a ton of blood loss, but he survived. Now fast forward to the trial. Josh and Steve tried to blame each other. Uh, of course they did. Steve made it seem like he just thought they were doing a robbery. We're just doing a robbery. I wasn't on board for fucking rape and murder. I mean, he did rape Mrs. Pettit. And Josh made it seem like all the bad stuff was Steve's idea. So they just blamed each other. There was so much attention on the news for this case that they tried to have it moved out of state. Josh and Steve did. Stating that there was no way they could find a fair jury. The judge at the time denied the request. Yeah, there's actually a case going on right now in Michigan where the family wants to have it out of state. But every, it's national news. It's mm. na- everybody knows. So no matter what state you're in, you're not. Gonna, everyone hates you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. So it doesn't matter. You could be in freaking Alaska. They're still <laughs> going to hate you. I know. So it did turn out to be really difficult to find a fair jury. And during the trial, so many horrific details came out that at one point, a juror... I mean, just listen to us, emotional talking. I would be bawling my eyes out. There was a juror who got physically ill, and the judge had to call a recess for the day during the trial and had to release her. Or her or him. I'm sorry. I don't know if it was a male or female. Could you imagine? (laughs) No. Well, I've been on jury duty, and I've sat, and I was selected, and they weeded me out because Mm -hmm. it was a case that, like, I knew... 
and whatever, but it's like, could you just imagine It was too close there? to home for you. Yes, but and they ask There's no you, way. They ask you questions similar to, like, have you known anybody who's been sexually abused? Oh, my God. Have you known anybody whose house has been burned? Uh-huh. Like, how do you weed those people out? I don't know. I couldn't do it. If you, you guys who have done jury duty, I mean, God bless you. Like, well, yeah. I don't know how you do it. Okay, this was a death penalty case, which made it very long and trying for all parties involved. Stephen was ready to take a life sentence and plead guilty, but prosecution denied this and went forward with the death penalty. Because life is 25. Correct. Some people think life in prison is until you die. I'm proud of you for knowing that. Get it, girl? Wait, that was Josh, the young one? So Stephen was ready to take a life sentence. He was like, I I admit it. I did it. Give me my life sentence. Done. Well, he's, what, 43? He was in his 40s, yeah. He would have been out in his mid-70s. Well, would have been. Stephen struggled a lot during the trial. He attempted suicide more than once. And this was interesting to me. He had to be placed, I didn't know this was a thing, in a safety cell. Suicide watch. Yeah. Where he wouldn't have anything around him that could hurt himself, that he could hurt himself. But this is what was interesting. He had to have special clothes on called like, I think it's called Ferguson clothes. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. Where you can't tear the fibers apart to make a noose. Okay, so (laughs) listen to Dr. Pettit. This fucking badass... When Dr. Pettit learned that Stephen had tried to commit suicide, okay. he was pissed. Oh, naturally. He made a statement to the news, and he this is, he said something, and I, this is not a quote. This is along the lines of, so forgive me, that Stephen could bind, torture, rape, and burn his family, but couldn't face sitting in the courtroom to talk about it. Hell yeah, Dr. Pettit. Yeah. He was, like, on point. Stephen and Josh had separate trials. Steve being in 2010, Josh 2011. Ooh, They were both convicted of the following. Intent to cause the deaths of Jennifer, Haley, and Michaela. Four counts of kidnapping. Sexual assault. Assault. Burglary. Robbery. Arson. Larceny. And risk of injury to children. Thus being, yes, I said thus, capital murders and later are sentenced. They are later sentenced to the death penalty. Good. Like, sign me up. So how long? Are they dead now? Let me keep going. In April 2012, Connecticut abolished the death penalty. Oh, so now they're just sitting and rotten. (sighs) Leaving Joshua Komisarjewski and Stephen Hayes to live out the remaining days in prison. They must be in solitaire. There's no way, no way those prisoners in there would let them live. Steve lives many of his years, has lived many of his years in isolation. Good. Now, Stephen has a daughter. It is stated that he has nightmares of his own daughter burning to death. He can't get it out of his mind. I want to say good, but also I like, know. It's like, sad, but like you did that. You did that. You actually did that. How did to he people. have a daughter and do this? I, I know. Why do people do bad things? I don't know. In October 2019, <sighs> so really not that long ago, the New York Times reported that Stephen was receiving hormone therapy in prison as part of gender transition. He is at the Green State Prison in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. Stephen is now 59 years old and is serving six life sentences. <laughs> he says when he was 16, he was diagnosed with sexual identity disorder, but his family never acknowledged it and never treated it. Stephen expresses remorse for his actions, and there's no defense for what he did. Like, he accepts that. Good. So it sounds like he... Is torturing himself as he should be. What about the other one? Joshy boy. Dumbass Josh. Joshy boy. As recent as April 2021, he had appeals that were denied. 
Okay. Yep. Josh claimed that the state's failure failure to move his trial out of state denied him a fair trial. No. He's an idiot. The, the <laughs> lawyers are, you know, it's funny, Jake and I, we were having a conversation about, like, the defense lawyer and, like, especially in, like, these murder trials. Like, mm-hmm. they are, they just are reaching. Mm-hmm. And, they, and a lot of the times they get off on technicalities. Mm. Like that right there? <clears throat> yeah. Josh is now um, 41 years old. And is in Mahanoy Correctional Institute in Frackville, Pennsylvania. Um, Josh, you're going to die in prison, dude. Yeah, just give it up. You did a bad thing. My dude, if you hear this on your iPod. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Shut up. I just, I hate you. In May of 2008. Okay, so that's enough of them. They're done. We're done. We're going to wrap it up. May of 2008, which was a year after the crime. The Pettit home was demolished and a memorial garden was built in its place, which I think is beautiful. That is beautiful. Where the family can go visit and spend time. What about his family? Dr. Pettit? Yeah. Well, let me tell you. Oh. He went on to start and still runs the Pettit Family Foundation, which supports people with chronic illnesses because his wife had MS and helps people affected by violence in their lives. This is in memory of his older daughter, Haley, who wanted to study chronic illnesses in college. In 2016, Dr. Pettit was elected to the State House of Representatives, currently serving his third term as a state representative from the 22nd District. Good for him. He is an executive member of CT Science Center's Women in Science Steering Committee, a committee member of Men Make a Difference Against Domestic Violence, and the corporator at the Hospital of Central Connecticut. He is now remarried to Kristen Palouf, who he met while volunteering at his foundation as a photographer. She's a photographer. And they married in 2012. They then went on to have a child, William Pettit III, in November 2013. That must have been hard. That must have been so hard. William Pettit is quoted, and I did call him Bill, nickname for William, is quoted as saying, he used to have an... Let me try again. (laughs) You can do it. Quoted as saying, he used to have awful weeks and awful days... Now, most of the time, it's awful minutes and awful hours. He is now 65 years old as of January 2022. Hmm. And that is the awful case of the Cheshire murders. Ralph, what the fuck? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. My hands are now sweating again at that last part. Thank you. And tears in my eyes. Yeah. Um, real quick, your cost count was very high. That's oh, okay. oh, that's okay, right? You forgive me yes, on this one? it was 35. 35? Yeah. That's okay. They deserved it. They deserved it. Hopefully well, the people stayed with us. I know. With, with us through all of this. Guys, reach out. Let us know your thoughts, please. Um, it's tough. It's a tough one. It's important to know these things happen. And be aware of your surroundings, ladies. Girls, when I walk to my car, I have my keys in my hand. Oh, and I lock the door the second I get in. Brett bought me one of those, and you have one too. I do. One of those keychains, yep, where you stick your fingers through got and it's, the ears are like spears. I got it through, I do it through my two, my pointer in my middle, and I put uh-huh. my other key in the middle, just in case. A little extra. Get them. Thank goodness for the security we have now and the ring doorbells. Yep. I mean, this is not an ad, but ring if you want to sponsor us. <laughs> We're here for you. That'd be amazing. All right. Find us, guys, on Instagram, Live, Laugh, Murder Podcast. Email us, livelaughmurderpod at gmail.com. We love you guys, our badass listeners. And Spain. What's up, Spain? And Japan. What? What the fuck? I love you, Japan.
Japan? 30, 37. Oh, my God. 37. Uh, you guys in the uh, overseas, I just can't believe it. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And those of you in the States, wherever you are. Obviously, we love our locals yes. as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to us. We appreciate you. Love you. Mean it. On that note, bye. Bye. Love you. Mean it. Bye.